This is Las Doctoras Podcast with your favorite profas, Dr. Renee Limas and Dr. Cristina Rose. Join us as we bring women and gender studies topics out of the university and onto the kitchen table. Salud! Salud. Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. Oh, welcome to Las Doctoras Podcast. <laughs> we are so excited to have um, a guest on. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm like, it's your friend. I, now that my thing is up close, I'm like, I should put some glasses on. Okay. <laughs> um, we all from our home. I know. I'm like, oh. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, let's, let's, we're so excited to have our guests on. I feel like this season has been, um, Mm -hmm. all the guests that we just like want to talk with. Like we're like, what do we want to talk about? I don't know, but we just want to talk to you. We want to talk with them. Whatever. Everybody to hear the convo. So without further ado, our guest, please introduce yourself. Welcome. Welcome, Pia. Hey y'all. My name is Pia Schiavocampo. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, um, and I am a person who does a lot in the world, who's always sort of evolving. Um, right now, uh, I am a partner with a small communications and marketing agency called Momentum Solutions Team, and we primarily work with nonprofits and foundations and sort of helping them to tell their stories in an mm-hmm. ethical way and really build their capacity to be able to better serve their constituents um and yeah so that's that's what i've been doing for the last seven years and um recently sort of took a pause from a blog that i had been writing and an advocacy that i've been doing around body liberation and um fat politics so um mm-hmm. yeah i'm this is the space i'm in is constant yeah. evolution <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes. A, splash, a splash of Pia. I think of yes, that. Yes, a splash of Pia. Yes, I love <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, tell us if you want to share anything of your astrology or your ancestry. Yeah. So astrology, I don't know a lot about it. I just know that I'm a Virgo and I am such a Virgo. Um, let's okay. see, ancestry. So in terms of my ancestry, I'm actually adopted, um, but my bio, my adoptive parents who both have passed away recently. Um, my mom's African-American, my father was Sicilian. Um, and it's interesting because mm-hmm. I have a relationship with both my birth parents. I was able to find them after many years. So my mother is Italian and my father's African-American, which is so bizarre. <laughs> and so wow. weird. Like, it's so weird. I'm like, what is what is going on right now? So it was when I eventually found them, it was like very affirming. And I actually mm. was just on the East Coast and saw my my bio dad spent some time with him. So I'm learning more about my actual biological ancestry. And that has been really, really cool. Yeah. That is so interesting, right? Like it. it's like <laughs> it it's like the ancestors knew. <laughs> who you need it it's so weird yeah i'm so lucky though yeah, yeah. it's beautiful and then um tell you it sounds like you know some human design we're learning we're both generators um and i'd love to yeah wh- where what can you speak what's your to human that? design so my human design is I'm a manifesting generator. Um, and so I only learned about human design when we were in our cohort together with June. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm super fascinated. And I had actually started a whole Instagram around it, which, you know, because I'm a manifesting generator, I was like, oh, this was fun. Okay, now I'm over it and I'm moving on. Cause that's what managers do is like, they get uh -huh. super passionate and mm -hmm. then they move in like quantum leap to get things done. Mm -hmm. And then like, I've done it, I'm good. And then I'm ready to move on to the next thing. So it's helping mm -hmm. me like really understand who yeah. I am because all my life, I feel like, especially my parents and maybe even my own self-judgment about like not always sticking to things for a long time. Mm. And now I understand that it's because this is how I was, this is how I was built is I was built mm -hmm. to master a lot of things mm -hmm. and then explore. And so, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I love that. It, it, it's affirming to know that about myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I imagine that kind of gave you the confirmation around letting go of um, mixed fat chick for a while or for now or for whatever, right? Like in moving into the next yeah. phase. Yeah, you know, it was a long time coming and um, I, I placed a lot of judgment on myself of like, oh, I'm abandoning this. And, and I'm mm. like, you know what? Like I gave it 12 years. That's a quarter of my life. Do the math. And mm -hmm. so it was just kind of like, I have other things that I want to do and other things I want to say. And there are so many incredible people who are still actively mm -hmm. doing this work. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's always going to be a part of, you know, my identity in some way. Um, but it just was time for something new. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was just like after my father died last mm -hmm. year, I just needed that quiet time. And then I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm done. I'm ready to put it yeah. down. Mm -hmm. and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had a, a few things, you know, as you were saying that, you know, when you were like, I gave it 12 years and I think there's, um, and I don't know if this is generational, but I think there's this perception that we're supposed to have either some job or some career or some thing mm -hmm. that we just commit our whole lives to, right? And we're just mm -hmm. on this path, but, you know, both historically and especially as we go into a different, you know, future, I think that yeah. it actually is very common for people to kind of completely switch careers many times in their mm -hmm. lives. And I think, I think as, as, um, you know, people raised by, you know, in communities of color and I think in, um, you know, um, working class communities, we're so used to this idea of like, you get the one job and you get, or you get that one career and like you stay committed to that retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. think that that's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I read something somewhere where it's like, you're supposed to have like seven different careers in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. So wow. I think it's great to like normalize that. And I think the truth too, is that as we go into the future, those jobs, those lifelong jobs don't even exist anymore. So we have mm -hmm. to kind of be willing to shift mm -hmm. and pivot and like have different abilities, you know, to, um, to do work or, you know, and I, and I don't mean work in a capitalist way, but, um, calling, I was, career, life calling. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, um, so I was thinking about that. And the other thing I was thinking about, like you as a manifesting generator, I love the affirmation same, right. Like as, for me, astrology has been so affirming because I'm a triple water sign, right? Cancer, sun, cancer, moon, Pisces rising. And I'm like, oh, right. That's why I feel 
everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why, like, mm-hmm. it's it's really hard for me to move through emotions mm-hmm. um, when I think there was a time when it was like, oh, I was just being too sensitive or I was, you know, whatever. Um, and so it feels so nice to be like, no, this is just a part of who I am. And how do I lean into that? How do I use it as a gift? And when you're saying like you put a lot of effort into something and I'm like, that was, that's the project starter, right? Like, and mm-hmm. I think um, instead of seeing it as like, oh, I just go all in and then, you know, move to something else. It's And that's why we're supposed mm-hmm. to be in community, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're the manifesting generator, then, you know, mm-hmm. the other people are supposed to come in, right? Mm-hmm. You're the idea. You're the person. Like, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to mm-hmm. do it. Now you all go do it, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's your place in, you know, in, and we've been talking a lot about, like, the ecosystem, right? Like, what's yeah. the ecosystem, particularly around, like, social change and social justice, right? Like, yeah, you're the idea person. And then you're not meant to be there forever and be, you know, Harp, you know, like doing the, you're meant to be like, okay, now what's the next idea, right? Mm-hmm. That we can like move mm-hmm. forward. So I, I think it's, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting given the Virgo-ness too. Cause I think a fellow Virgo here, you know, like it's hard for me to let go of things. Like I have definitely put my nose to like the grindstone and completed tasks. I've had my doctorate and everything. And, and looking back, I think I, I could have taken a pause at some point and been like, is that really what I want to do? You know, like how, how can I you know what's the next thing? And so I, I think the gift of Renee for me is your, all of the emotion. And I'm hearing, I'm feeling a similar gift with you, Pia, and like hearing the story of letting go of something, giving so much time and then moving into something new. I think yeah. Yeah. gifts truly. And I really relate to the sensitive. I'm ex- highly sensitive, highly empathetic, intuitive and growing up like I was always sort of made fun of for being sensitive and crying Mm -hmm. all the time and it wasn't until really in the last like maybe five maybe 10 years that I realized that my sensitivity and vulnerability are a tremendous gift Mm -hmm. and that I wear my heart on my sleeve and I don't apologize for being Mm -hmm. sensitive and that I'm seeing people say I wish I had that I wish I had even Mm -hmm. an ounce of that and my mm-hmm. vulnerability allows other people to be vulnerable. And that has been such an incredible gift. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I can, I can be a private person, but also I'm like, I just be putting all my shit out there. <laughs> like <laughs> I fuck this up and I mess that up and I love this today. I totally hear you on the, I, I was just thinking about this the other day, how like, you know, Christine and I have this public platform and we do all this work, but I also really enjoy anonymity. <laughs> so I do mm-hmm. get a little strange, like if we ever had, like I've been, we've been recognized in certain I mean, places. we're generators. I think that's part of it. Like we're not as the manifesting, like when we see our manifestors and our manifesting generators out there, we're like, yeah, that's like cool. we celebrate cool. you, but we, we're like, we want to like, like, it's like, like you want to be like, you know? want to be I don't know it's this weird like I just struggle with like I want to keep my anonymity but I also want to like do my shit and, and I am a put my shit out there kind of person too I'm very transparent mm-hmm. More um, than me. and and I and I love to like you Christina you were talking about like what are the gifts of of being in community with different types of people and 
for you to say like you're unapologetic about it. Like I'm working on that. Like that's really hard for me because I'm not I'm a, the people pleaser in me is mm-hmm. like like I want to be and I think I am, you know, I think or at least people perceive me as this like outspoken person. But okay. then I'm like outspoken and then I'm like, oh, God, like, <laughs> oh, God, did I? Did I say something wrong? Family <laughs> origin, right? It comes back to our family stories, Renee. Yeah, for sure. it's, it's definitely some trauma. Yeah. Um, and I think all that, you know, we were talking before um, we started recording about like, like what the moment that we're in and, you know, just. um I love how you said You were like so clear. You're like, this is my, this is me. <laughs> like, is here's where I'm at. I wish. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, tell us again, where, what, where are you? Where, where are we? What's, what's happening? Where? You know, I mean, there's just so much fuckery. I mean, and it's not like it's new fuckery, but I think it's just, um, in this particular moment, as we're entering an election year here mm-hmm. and there are no good candidates, not even the one who's currently in office because mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm, continuing mm-hmm. to fund a genocide. Um, I, I, it's like, I vacillate between like deep, deep sorrow and anger and mm. also tremendous hope when I see mm. how many people across the globe are mm. saying, do not do this, not in mm. our name, cease fire, stop killing mm. innocent people. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like whenever I've been very vocal about that and allowed comments on my social media, I get a lot of pushback. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not allowing people to do that anymore because I had to school somebody. I had to school a white man on Facebook because he tried to come for me. And, you know, he wanted to come with me at tear with tears and talk about how, you know, I'm sitting in the comfort of my home. I was like, trust and believe as a black woman, I'm not sitting in comfort. You picked the wrong <laughs> bitch. And now I have to read you for filth. So everyone else can also understand I'm not the one. So mm-hmm. now I'm mostly posting about what's happening um, on my Instagram. I turn my comments off because I'm not interested in getting into a dialogue with people who don't want to see what the truth is. You know, for mm-hmm. me, this is about, you know, elevating the voices of people who are being killed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not a platform for, you know, trying to convince me that this is about protecting Israel. You know, I, as a mother and as someone who has tremendous empathy, I cannot, mm-hmm. I cannot be silent for me. I believe in that silence is violence thing. Um, and it, I know for a lot of people, it feels really scary to sort of like show up and say, Hey, this is what I believe in. But if we don't do that, then who does? Mm. Then who who is the voice? You know, mm. and we rely on other people to be like, oh, I'm I'm going to speak up and I'm going to say stuff. No, you need to speak up, even if it's just in your circle, even if it's just with your family. Mm. You know, I think we all have that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody who is a parent, mm. if you're a parent, like, how do you even? There's there is no justification, right? Um, and so for me, it's just like, it's holding my son closer. It not looking away at the horrifying images because it is a constant reminder that none of us are free until we are all free. I mean, I, I do deeply, deeply believe that, you know, um, 
So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just day to day. It's hard to be in the spirit of the holidays when you see what's happening. And it's not just in Palestine, right? We see things mm-hmm. that are happening in the Congo and in so many other places um, where people of color are exploited. You know, um, it's our it's our responsibility, period. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, <laughs> so much. Um, so much feeling. It's it's you know I feel like um, every day I wake up, and even the other day, Christine and I were somewhere, and I like I like audibly sighed. I was like, oh, and she was like, what's wrong? Like I don't know where. Like I wasn't even doing anything. I was like, oh, and she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, oh no, I just. Like I'll be present in in a moment of something and then I'll get a flash of like, oh, right, we're living in a fucked up world. Mm -hmm. And I like I get upset because it's so hard to be in the present moment with Mm -hmm. joy when in the background (laughs) there's so much destruction and violence and, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things. And so it's like this. um, Mm. It's just this like juxtaposition. And like, how do you. I don't know. It, it it makes it very difficult to like, mm-hmm. you know, be like, oh, happy and like, oh, but uh, yeah. you know, across the glo-. like, it's it's a it's it, I don't e- I don't even know how to do that. And so it's every mm-hmm. morning like I'll be able to sleep and then I wake up and I'm like, okay, then I'm gonna have a good day and then I'm like, oh right, the world mm-hmm. is like, and so it hits me like a wave in the morning and it's really hard and you know mm-hmm. and that gets like really emotionally exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always impressed that you can make it through the night, Renee, actually, because it hits me like in the middle of the night where I'm just like, waiting, mm. you know, feeling it. Yeah. And I really, I want to figure out, you know, I'm learning how to be a hopeful parent, like to, to mm-hmm. parent with hope, mm-hmm. as well as feeling in these times. And frankly, you know, yeah, most of my adult life having, you know, and act even through like the academic lens, but studied so much of this history, you know, mm-hmm. um, coming to the table, like with that reality and with hope for the, ch- for my kiddo, like, it's yeah, daunting. that's, yeah. that's the hard part. I think is, I, I, I think I had like a breakdown a few weeks ago where I was like, mm-hmm. you know, as, as some like, yeah, we, this is, we've committed our lives work to social justice always with the idea of hope right like we're working towards change we're working towards something and I think when I'm hit with a moment like this I get very like what the fuck like (laughs) like where is the hope when it feels like it's just it's a harsh reality to like to be in and and then be like oh and I'm supposed to go and tell my kids like this is why we do what we do because you know, we're going to change things when I have worked my entire fucking life (laughs) to try to change things. Mm -hmm. And we're still in this mess, you know, and, and even worse, you know? So yeah, I just, I had a little bit of a breakdown a couple weeks ago of like, where is the hope? How do I even look my kids in the face and say, That, that, that hope exists Mm -hmm. when I have committed my life's work to change and it, it feels, you know, it just feels like, um, I don't know. I'm trying not to go back into that dark place, but. That's hard. Because yeah. it's like these, these two truths that exist at the same time, which is that atrocity is happening all over the world all the time, you know. Um, 
And also, you know, we want to protect our children from it. And I think for me, like the thing I struggle with my son is, is six years old is like, how do I even talk to him about these kinds of things? Do you know what I mean? Is he too small? Is he too innocent for me mm-hmm. to like burst his bubble that this is happening? And, you know, I, I, um, so I sit with that and like, I sit with children being murdered. And then I also sit with what, what do I owe my son, particularly at this time of year? Like, I also want him to Mm. feel joy. You know, Mm. I want him to feel gratitude. Like both of those things are true. And that's a hard thing to, to really sit with, you Mm -hmm. know, um, I don't have any answers. I have, I have no answers. And I don't think we need to have answers. Honestly, I think that no. I think I like just sitting having, with, this, sitting with things. Mm-hmm. having this conversation out loud, I think is, is what so many parents are struggling with. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I think what you exactly what you said is what is our responsibility in this moment with our kids? Like, how do we talk about mm-hmm. it? Do we talk about mm-hmm. it? Um, what do we owe them? In this, in this time, the joy, I always think about that, right? Like my father passed away nine years ago. Mm-hmm. He, he passed away two days before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could barely, and I had a, my yeah, oldest was two and I was pregnant with my youngest. And I remember that whole kind of holiday season. I was like, mm, I don't know. And finally, maybe like two weeks before Christmas, I was like, oh, maybe we should get a tree and maybe we should, yeah. you know, and I remember at that time thinking, I don't want years from now to go Mm. back and be like, oh, that's the one Christmas I didn't do because I was, you know, so sad. And so Mm. um, anyway, and and thinking about that now, it's like, you know, what are we owing them that joy? Like, I love the way you put that. Um, And then Mm. also, um, yeah, being with the reality of like, you know, there's Mm -hmm. going on. I will say, I will share that. I thought a lot about, you know, what, what is my responsibility to talk to my kids and, um, I do think there is a certain level of innocence and bubble that I want to kind of hold for them. I th- I think there is, because I think that's something that a lot of us didn't have, right? Like our bubbles mm-hmm. were burst very young and, mm-hmm. um, and without any kind of cushion. Yeah. <laughs> like there was no cushion. That's another it. thing on the table, our little, our little selves, you know, right. and, mm-hmm. and, and so I, Mm-hmm. The best thing I could do was to try to talk to my kids in very simple terms mm-hmm. and just say, okay, there's this thing happening, you know, across the world. And a lot of people are, you know, and I, and I, and I was like, what language do I use? And I did say, I said, a lot of people are being killed and because there's people mm-hmm. in power who are making, you know, really, um, violent choices and blah, 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 blah. And, um, and really try to keep it real, like, you know, real simple. And also, you know, they're not going to sit for a whole historical lecture, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like just trying to keep it real. Like, you know, and I said, do you have any questions? And my oldest was like, can it happen here? And I said, you know, and, and, and I'm in my head, I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, can yeah. it happen here? Right? And so I just said, you know, we're safe right now and we're going to do everything to keep ourselves safe. And, mm-hmm. um, and I actually put it in the context of a boycott because I, you know, you know, I've, I've always been very, 
I've had a lot of critique around boycotts in my day. And um, I've always been very strategic in in that. Um, And so I just said, look, you know, there will be a time when we as a family might need to make choices about where we spend our money and where we don't. And I just want you to know that when we as a family make that choice, this is why we're making Mm -hmm. that choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they were kind of like open to that, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so it was it was and and it was like a not even a 10 minute conversation. And it was like very like quick and then reassuring of their present safety. And Mm -hmm. and then that was it. You know, yeah. and like thinking eight, eight, and oh gosh, I gosh, how old is Cruz again? Aiden and Cruz will be eleven in like a 11. few weeks, yeah. and I have an eight-year-old too. So just thinking, like even six to eight, like that's a really big difference in age, you know. As yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I do appreciate the conversation. It makes me think about um, my mother who passed away. It's almost three years ago. She was also a PhD and a professor, and from a young age, I remember her talking to us about civil rights and talking. To, I remember her telling us a story about Emmett Till mm. and I might've been at 11 or 12. And I remember how traumatized I was. Like I was mm. having nightmares mm. and I'm not sure if maybe the way she explained it was the best way, but what I understood or what I understand now was like, she always wanted to emphasize how lucky we were you know, mm. and that we were standing on the shoulders of people who had made a tremendous amount of sacrifice and mm. who had, you know, so much violence committed against them. And she would share things even from her own childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she grew up in Roxbury in Boston and, you know, she grew up in the projects and she was very dark skinned and she would always talk to me about the paper bag test. So for people who don't mm. know what the paper bag test is, is essentially there were a lot of sort of clubs and things for black folks, but you had to be the color of a, of a brown paper bag or lighter. So mm-hmm. she was never allowed in those spaces. So she always talked to us a lot about sort of the privilege of having light skin, which mm-hmm. I think just gave me an awareness of that very, very early. And I just remember as a kid, just being so devastated by that and thinking like, Mm -hmm. my mom is so awesome. Like you're so, you know, people are Mm -hmm. stupid for not wanting her in the club, you know, but it was those Mm -hmm. conversations shaped sort of who I am and, and my outlook on the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just appreciate Renee that, you know, you find the way that works to talk to your kids about it, to make it Mm -hmm. simple. We don't have to necessarily get into grisly details, but how Mm -hmm. can we sort of like help them understand the situation and then help Mm -hmm. They already know, right? They already know what's right and what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and just creating that space for them to be able to ask questions and to just have that that door open to conversation. Because I want him to feel safe, especially as a black boy. I want him to feel safe. And also, let's understand that not all kids have the luxury of safety. So, yeah, right. I think that's the constant, that's the constant balance. Um, I did, um, what was the other kind of thing I mentioned? I mean, we're always talking about they they have a sense of like injustice and justice. Mm-hmm. Cruz is definitely an environmentalist <laughs> at heart. He's always like, I want to plant trees. And, you know, I'm like, oh, he's a tree hugger, like through and through, you know. 
um, and has has that like sense of of you know climate justice without maybe even knowing you know that term. But um, you know, we talked a, a lot about too of we try to talk about like advocacy, right? And say and, like I'll tell them like if you witness or see anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. saying or doing anything like you know it is important that you a not add mm-hmm. to that right and b kind of step in and you know oh, oh that was the thing that i was um that was hard for me because you know truly i've never witnessed such divisiveness i mean i've i lived through a lot of you know <laughs> more than trump era more than covid right like the like you were saying like you had to turn off your comment like you know the the amount of divisiveness and like vitriol people just come on social media with yeah. is fucking, yeah. uh, like it's so yeah. hard and yeah. i i i that was something i was mindful of as, as i talked to my kids too because i didn't want them to feel like they needed to be defending anything right or like you know being put in a position where they have to defend any political views, you know? And so I just said, you know, and I kind of asked them, I said, are you, that's how I started it. I was like, Oh, have you heard anything? You know? And they were like, no. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. um, I said, well, you know, if ever it does come up, don't, you don't, you don't need to have that conversation. You can just come Mm -hmm. and tell me and we'll talk about it. Right. Like, I don't want them to ever feel like they need to be put in some, you know, not that that would happen. And we, our kids go to a really small private school where there's conversations amongst the parents and how to like hold, you know, like how to hold boundaries around things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's just, you know, you just never know. And so I was like, also very much like, you know, we'll talk about it as a family. You don't need to feel like you have to defend yourself or any, you know, I don't, they don't need to be put in that position. You know, Um, that was something I really wanted to be clear about. Right. Like, and that we're always here to talk with yeah. them. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing sometimes. And maybe that's what I didn't grow up with, maybe. But um, yeah, like I always try to create any a time in the evening where I'm like, momento time, you know, like anything that I can help you carry, anything that came up. Oh. You know, um, I was going to say, I love, you know, thinking of Cruz, this beautiful brown boy, right? Like when it's <laughs> environmentalism, it's so beautiful. And the language that I use with Jaguar is around greed. Mm. Like, I, like I think this good and bad, you know, mm. kind of in the narratives that he's up, uh, hearing, I'm like, I, I think, Papa, like, there's not really bad people. There are greedy mm. people, you know? Mm. Um, and so um, wanting to to move into, like, how do we share, you know, the resources that we have? Mm-hmm. How do we mm. hold on to the things that are beautiful to us? And how do we hold accountable those who are like, you know, hoarding and taking um, the power, the energy, the food, the whatnot, you know? And so in the context of, of you know, what's happening in the world right now or that's been happening forever, you know, I guess it's just like those are, those are pretty greedy guys, you know, pretty greedy people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big time. The other thing I wanted to talk about is it's come up in conversations in the recently is the myth of progress, you know, Mm. um, as we were talking about hope and, you know, how much we've worked and 
when we see all these images, you know, and they're so, and they're just out there. And it's not like they aren't happening all the time, all around the world and in the U.S., right? Things, different atrocities, different greedy people are, are everywhere, you know? Um, but it feels just so shocking to, to us. And I think there is this hope that we are making the world better, you know, and that the greedy people will eventually die off and we'll be left with, you know, a better world. Um, and when someone was like, oh, I think that's the myth of progress. I was like, oh, what, what do I do if there is no sense of that? You know, it might be a colonial thought. Progress. Um, but, but is it, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot. The idea that liberation is some utopic future, right? Oh, like somewhere, you know, in the future, we will be mm -hmm. liberated. And I think that what I the hold age on of Aquarius to, song for some reason. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why. What I, 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 I always think of Wakanda. <laughs> when I, oh. when I saw Black Panther, and and I came out of Black Panther, and I was like, oh fuck, right? Because that's Afrofuturism, right? The idea, mm -hmm. right? And like, and I was like, oh fuck, they just created that utopia in like you know um in, in with film right like they created that utopic future right in wakanda mm -hmm. and like and and that's actually how we create liberated futures is by making it up out of nowhere right like i think that's actually an important part of the liberatory process is to not just dismantle all the it's ship to like, imagine it's to too imagine like okay well what can it look like then and so i was to me that was like i i actually talk about that in my classes a lot i'm like look wakanda right like that's right? like let's use that as the beacon of of hope right and and of course you know as the you know as the marvel universe evolves right that's gonna get fucked but like you know um <laughs> But just thinking about like the 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 process of the director or the writer like creating this place called Wakanda where it's like actually you know protected and not in a violent way right it's not protected violently right like um, anyway so it was just it's an interesting thing to me and so what I try to lean into is and it's hard because there's times when I go into the deep dark places of my mind and I'm like fuck mm -hmm. this right. But I try to remind myself that liberation is not in the future mm. or just in the future. Oh. That liberation is in the here and now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that when we are faced with such atrocities, right, it's like harder to see that, right? It's like how, how can you see through all of this that we are actually – living into liberation so i don't know if it's i think i think maybe progress is a very is a colonial term because it is in terms of linear right like things are linear sure. right when we know that our ancestors didn't think of time in that way right mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so i just keep thinking like where are the moments right mm -hmm. where are the moments of liberatory possibility yeah and if we can mm -hmm. keep building more moments mm -hmm. you know it's like we're just gonna push all this stuff out right and like and so I think mm -hmm. about what, you know, what do I hold on to? Um, when I think about the students that come into my class and they have, and this is just one example, right? When I think about myself as a young kid who was dealing with gender stuff <laughs> 
And the only language I had at the time was to say tomboy, right? Like when I was a young little tomboy, you know, exploring my gender. Um, and so when students come into my class and they have these terms like non-binary, right? And gender mm -hmm. non-conforming, I'm like, fuck, like y'all just y'all just did it. Like yeah. <laughs> y'all just like you didn't wait for anybody to to create this utopic future. You just fucking said it. Like, this is what I am. This is who I am. And yeah. I'm gonna claim it unapologetic. To me, that's liberatory, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, it's like it's already happening. And in yeah. fact, yeah. That's why we're seeing such mm. astonishing violence right now because it's mm -hmm. it's white supremacy, mm -hmm. colonialism. It's their last attempts, their last mm -hmm. attempts at holding on to the structures. And we're like, mm -hmm. oh no, homie, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's gone, right? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and I, and I think that like the difference between today versus 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago is the power of social media, which doesn't mm -hmm. allow you to be able to, you know, paint a narrative that is untrue. Do you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And so, you know, I know a lot of people who are only looking at mainstream media, right, and who are hearing one side of the story. And, um, and you know, I I sometimes struggle to have conversations with those people where I'm like, can you please look at other sources? Like, ask yourself mm. the question, like, why are you getting this one this one sided view? Go watch mm -hmm. some Al Jazeera. Like, here's people you can follow on social media, so you can have a fuller understanding of what's really happening, right? Yeah. And um, like, you need to hear the narrative from the people who are actually being killed. Like, yeah, right. That, that would be ground. that would be helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's the language and, and what I heard you say, Renee, about like, you know, young people aren't waiting, like they just are like, this is the language that I'm creating. But, you know, I think it's powerful when we see how language has changed mm -hmm. over, you know, decades and centuries, even the way now that we talk about enslaved Africans, where we used to say slaves, now we say enslaved, right? Mm -hmm. Because saying somebody is a slave is not it's their identity, right? It's a condition right. that was put upon mm -hmm. them. And mm -hmm. so I think all mm -hmm. of that nuance is so important. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, the people who are like, oh, they, them, and da, 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 da. And I'm like, that's because it's not about you. Like, why are you upset about having to call somebody the way that they want <laughs> to be called? You need mm -hmm. to ask yourself that question. Why mm -hmm. are you struggling and why are you so resistant? Like dig deeper into that. And whether mm -hmm. it's on a conscious level or not, you are benefiting, right? You are benefiting from white supremacy. You are benefiting from being mm -hmm. a straight white male, you know? And, and it's like, no one wants to really dig deep into that. I feel like after George Floyd, there was this wave of like, you know, everybody's like reading all the books and, you know, and they all want to be like DEI experts. And I'm just thinking mm -hmm. to myself, like, but when it comes down to it, mm -hmm. like, what are your real values? Like, how do you show up in the world, in the world? And is this just lip service? Like your Black Lives Matter sign in the front of your yard is nice and all. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, are you willing to be uncomfortable? Are you willing to give up power? Like, are you, because that's really what it is. It's not just about mm -hmm. this sort of surface level allyship, but it requires you to make sacrifice. 
you know? Um, yeah. I want to say something to that because I, I agree. I, I think, uh, and I'll go back to some of the points you were saying. And I just want to say something about like the idea of like, I think being uncomfortable is, is such a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's beyond just like being willing to be uncomfortable. It's like, we don't even have infrastructure to be able to help each other be uncomfortable. Right. Like we're so used, like, we don't even know how, like that's it. That it's, it's not easy to be uncomfortable. And do we have like support systems so that it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to force you to be uncomfortable, but you're not going to be out on the ledge doing it on your own. Right. Like, and, and not that we have to do those things, but we don't have infrastructure for that. So I think it's like, it's, it's beyond just like, you know, having people be uncomfortable. It's like having, giving people spaces and places to process that uncomfortability, you know? Um, I mean, how long, how long have we been in therapy or in other spaces? Right, exactly. Right. Like we've all been having to be uncomfortable for fucking work, yeah. you know? Um, and I think the other thing is, you know, when we say things like, um, what are you willing to give up and sacrifice? And I, and I think that there, I think that's important. And I think it triggers people's scarcity. And so I think there's this notion of like, you have to give up everything, right. Or you have to sacrifice everything because there's only so much. And so I really try to think about it as like, Maybe you don't actually have to give up anything, but you have to be willing to like not hoard, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to only take your share, right? Like, mm-hmm. right? Does that make sense, right? Like, because I think like yeah. there's this like yeah, for, for, for greedy people who have there yeah, they actually have to give up things, you know, like. But that's the thing is I think that like because I've always said this that it seems to me like when we talk about things like privilege, I see more people. Uh, who are in some marginalized capacity more willing to accept their privilege than people who are at the most privileged, right? Like we can all sit here. I can sit here and be like, I've got, you know, I'm a white passing Latina. So I've got privilege, right? I'm highly educated. So I've got privilege. I'm willing to name all my privileges, but those white, cis, straight, rich men are not (laughs) willing to even talk about privilege. And so I feel like we actually don't need to really give up that much. (laughs) Because <laughs> we really <laughs> right? Like, I think what we have to do is to say, like, there's enough. It's just that the mm-hmm. ultra greedy, you know, mm-hmm. the Elon Musks and Correct. the Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, yep, and all those homies are mm-hmm. hoarding all this shit. So really, what I would say is like, okay, can you go and hold them accountable? <laughs> can we stop mm-hmm. romanticizing these fucking mofo's, right? As if they're fucking mm-hmm. geniuses for like. Right. <laughs> they're probably exploiting somebody else's labor, right? And they're just branding 100%. it. Like, that's all Elon Musk. You know what? They want to go to Mars so badly. I'm like, please, all of you get on a shuttle and go to Mars and never yeah. come back. Trust and believe no one will be sad about that shit. Yeah. You know, it's like the amount of money that you spent on that, you could have literally taken care of every hungry person in this country. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Like, I just, I can't wrap my head around that kind of yeah. shit. I, I yeah. can't. And, and I have no tolerance for it. And also, mm-hmm. I also am tired as a woman and a person of color of feeling like it's my job to hold those people accountable. I need other white people to hold you accountable. That's what mm-hmm. I need. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I need men to hold men accountable. But yeah. you know what happens? What triggers that? Right. Why they don't do that. And I talk about this in my classes all the time because at the end of the semester, I'm like, all right, so what's the solutions for all this shit that we just talked about? 
and I, and I do say, I said, you know, and there, the few men that I have in my classes, I'll say like, y'all need to do some shit. Cause we are tired. We're just trying to survive the patriarchy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. and I think what happens is that if they have to hold other men accountable, it also means they have to hold themselves accountable. Correct. Right? That means we have to be willing to sit with mm-hmm. our complicity in these systems mm-hmm. and sift through that mess while also holding other people accountable. And I think that that's the hardest part for people, right? Is to like, not just look at that, is to look at themselves and being like, how am I complicit in, in all of this? And, um, and, and that's the hardest part, you know? I mean, cause I've done that, right? I've been like, fuck, like, have I said some shit? Have I done some shit? Right. And we're human. We're human who are, are born into this innately, fucked up society right and so of course we're going to perpetuate some of that right not you know and so and it's okay to just admit that and then you know you know better you do better right like and and, Mm -hmm. um but that's I think that's the hard I wanted to go back to something you talked about like in in 2020 when everybody was reading all the books (laughs) which makes me laugh because I remember even then I was like oh god I don't know I don't know I don't know how this is going to go long term, right? Like, um, but I recently saw something where it said, like, the difference between diversity, like DEI, and liberation, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so the idea mm-hmm. of like diversity is like, oh, I can be in community with you. And liberation mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. the system is fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. let's change the system mm-hmm. so that. Mm-hmm you know, we don't have to have these other kinds of like, you know, it's not just about uh, tolerance, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to tolerate being in, in your presence, right? Or you existing, yeah. but I'm actually going to make it so that, you know, we all are equally viewed as humans and, you know, mm-hmm. deserving of, of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I, I, I wanted to to kind of highlight that, right? Like the difference between mm-hmm. DEI and liberation. And and, and I think For that's sure. actually what we're seeing right now is a lot of like, like, oh, it wasn't just enough to be oh. diverse, right? Or it's not, it's right. not enough. No, we have to look systemically and, and change the yeah. system, you know? Because we're free when we're all free, right? Kind of yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. to flip that around. I mean, I think I see that a lot in my work, this notion of diversity, which is very much that checkbox thing, like, oh, okay, we've got diverse staff, right? Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. does that staff feel empowered? Does that staff feel Mm -hmm. they belong? Mm -hmm. Are they, are they seen? And like, that is the, that is really the difference Mm -hmm. for me. And I think the other piece is just going back to what we were talking about earlier about people willing to be uncomfortable like white people's discomfort will never be as painful as what people of color go through every single day Mm -hmm. so i i I am a compassionate person i am i really am and get over it like your (laughs) just your temporary discomfort is something that you get Mm -hmm. to turn off when you want to turn it off our oppression doesn't get to switch on and off yeah. And so let's, let's also understand that, right? Um, none yeah. of it is easy, but I do feel hopeful in that we are finding better ways to talk about this and we are finding better language for how to explain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also know, like, I'm not a patient person. Like, I know I am not somebody who should be doing conflict resolution or like <laughs> being able to talk to white people. 
And I wish I was that person sometimes, but I'm like, I'm not. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm completely and utterly okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, my father was white. And so it wasn't until later in my life that I saw the kind of racism that was happening within my own family, Mm. you know, that I was experiencing misogyny and I was experiencing gaslighting, Mm. you know? And so like, how do you even come to terms with shit in your own family, much less people Mm -hmm. out in the world, you know, um, that's hard. That's really hard. You want to talk about discomfort, right? Um, so if we can all, like you said, be willing to acknowledge that every single one of us holds privilege in some way, whether it's big or small, and and then not sitting around thinking, hmm, how do I be a better ally? Bitch, go ask how you can be a better ally. Mm. <laughs> your see, signs, think- your rainbow signs are not are not it. <laughs> see, I think I think it's not it. Like I think it, Love it. I think I think the flaw in allyship too is assuming that because unless you are a rich white cis man, and that's a very really that's a very small portion of the population, right? Mm-hmm. And they all they got all the power and all the money and all the things. But unless you're that, like you are in some proximity to marginalization, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it, again, it goes beyond allyship. It, it's to say, oh, my marginalization, my marginalization yeah. comes from the same place that yours does. Yeah. So it's we're not allies. We are fighting the same fucking relational. Machine, yeah, yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. that to me. Sometimes that's the missing part. It's like we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, fighting these separate entities right like oh there's patriarchy and there's racism and there's you know homophobia Mm -hmm. it's like it's all the same fucking shit the same thing (laughs) it's all the same so Mm -hmm. you know if you're if you feel you know oppressed in some way then can you see you know Mm -hmm. i'll give you an example like because this was talk about family right like Mm. (laughs) i grew up in a family with even though the women were the ones in power in my family there we were still outnumbered by the men so i have a lot of men cousins hopefully they don't listen (laughs) (laughs) or maybe they need to listen (laughs) and it comes from a place of love for christmas eve but you know the time of love is coming up so you know hopefully they listen after that a really interesting time because I, you know, I'm trying to have it just enjoy myself, not trying to be, you know, but you know, a few too many shots of tequila and you know, words are had. And there was a conversation one time and it and it haunts me because I think at the time I didn't have language to to hold that mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because we were talking about essentially what was happening is uh, the oppression Olympics, right? <laughs> My cousin <laughs> who was very dark skinned and who also has disabilities, right, was like trying to say like, you know, that he has it worse than me as a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I did try to be like, I get it. I, I understand that. I understand that mm-hmm. you as a, as a, you know, dark brown man are gonna, you know, be afraid of cops in a different way. Like, I completely understand. And I said, I understand your disabilities, right? As a professor, I try to make sure that I'm aware of, you know, um, the ways that I engage with students with disabilities, right? Like, and to mm-hmm. me, that was the, to me, what I couldn't say in the time, was I am willing to see your oppressions and I'm willing to understand my privilege and then do something about that and acknowledge Mm -hmm. that. What I need you to do is you as a man, 
to mm-hmm. recognize your male privilege and mm-hmm. to do something mm-hmm. about that, mm-hmm. right? And to recognize that your oppression comes from the same place that mine does. Mm-hmm. And if we want to help each other out, we got to help each other out, right? Like, because yeah. he was not willing to see his male privilege. He was like, well, I'm oppressed for being brown and you're oppressed for being a woman. So we're all good. We're right. on an equal playing field. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's not right. quite how it works. Because you can still perpetuate misogyny and sexism, right? Sure. And that's not what we want, right? Like, and so it was, it, it's it's hard, I think, to kind of see the, the complexities of that, right? To see like, we're fighting the same fucking mission. We're not fighting each other. I'm not here to tell you I have it worse than you. I'm not here to say I have the same as you. I'm here to say, can you see me? And I'm willing to see you. And can mm-hmm. we come together to work against the same machine? And mm-hmm. that's, I think, something that's hard for people. They're like, oh, I'm an ally because they don't actually see their oppression as intrinsically linked to mine. They're just yeah. like white white saviors or male saviors or there's something they're trying to be they're 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 coming from that place from this higher yeah. like let me help you it's like no help yourself right <laughs> let's yeah. help each other help us you know what I mean like that's I think is like I don't know that's the thing it's missing it's like they see their as separate I'm like no we're we're mm-hmm. trying to fight the same fucking like machine here yeah. right I don't know it's frustrating yes it is. Yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> it is exhausting. I mean, we've also encountered, you know, people talking about things like cancel culture. <laughs> oh, cancel culture. Oh, it's so dangerous. It's or such a slippery like, slope. Yeah, because on one hand, here's what I'm going to say. I don't know if I say it, girl. Say it. <laughs> I, think, I think cancel culture exists. For historically marginalized people, right? <laughs> I don't think I don't think cancel culture exists for people in various positions of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And the people who are claiming cancel culture are the ones in positions that they're like, oh, you know, I'm being canceled. I'm like, what what canceling has happened? Have you lost your job? Have you lost money? Have you lost opportunities? Have you and lost mostly respect? they just feel uncomfortable, right? That's in the end. They just they feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And maybe momentarily lose those things, right? Like for a moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Because in 2020, I remember everybody was getting out it or uh, the Me Too movement, right? A few years oh, yeah. before that, right? Like all the men were getting outed and all the white people were getting outed. We're in 2023. What happened? They still all got jobs. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> they, they were able to recover their, uh, you know, reputations, all of that, right? And what ha- and conversely, what we're seeing now is cancel culture for um, uh, what uh, critical race theory, <laughs> ethnic <laughs> studies. <laughs> right? Queer literature, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's cancel culture, right? And that will have much more longer term impacts than whatever the fuck white people think is happening to them, Mm -hmm. right? So I think like, and we've come across that, right? It's like, oh, like how can you talk, how can you be afraid of cancel culture when, you know, really we're just trying, like we've been canceled (laughs) for for you know forever we're just trying like we're barely trying to get our histories into the mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. into the 100%. curriculum 
I mean, you know. I even for me, like a recent example of that is is Lizzo being canceled. You know, like there was so much like sort of surface support, like, oh, I love Lizzo. She's so amazing. Oh, my God. She's so great. But then like one accusation comes out and it's like the fat, black, amazing singer all of a sudden is canceled. And it's mm. like, yeah, even when I think about people like R. Kelly and Michael Jackson, who people knew mm. were doing shit, they still continued to be mm. popular. They still continued to make money. Like we have seen that happen over and over and over again. But the minute a happy, fat black woman who is successful starts to get some mm. backlash. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether mm -hmm. those accusations were true or not. For me, it was very, it was so clear. It was just like clear as day. Like, Yep, it was she she gets, her under the bus. she's messing up or whatever. One thing happens, and all of a sudden, mm -hmm. she's completely written off. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm just thinking, like, there are plenty of people out there who are doing nasty, awful shit over and over and over yeah. again, and mm -hmm. they're not getting canceled. And so, mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. that's a real struggle. That's a real, yeah. real struggle yeah. to witness. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was a hard one. I remember. I'm like, what, what Renee gave me the lowdown. She showed me everything. Um, but I have. I mean, I have things to say about that, and I think that actually, well, I don't. I don't need to say what I think about Lizzo because I think that you know. I, I, think, I think it's true, though. I think exactly. The, the point to what you're saying is around. that it was easy to throw her under the bus, right? It was easy to be like, 100%. oh, you know, she had. There was no grace. There was no. There was no grace. None at all. Whatsoever. And I think too, like sometimes when things like that happen, I'm like, I feel a little bit like, and that's not even my community, right? Like, but I feel like, oh, these are intracommunal um, things that are being aired. And then it allows white people to come in and show their anti-blackness and show their fatphobia, right? And like, and all those things. I mean, because we've had that things like that happen in our community too, where I'm like, oh, fuck, can't we just have like a... Like, you know, conversation, over conversation here. and then for the world, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. without having right. to like, because then it makes it so much easier to be like, oh, well, see, you know, all Mexicans are blah, 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 blah. Right. Like, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's such a tricky, it's such a tricky thing to navigate. Right. But anyway, I know I get kind of like kind of in this and we've got a lot of things going on in our personal lives and I'm like, oh, this feels so hard. This conversation was good, but hard. And I, I'm thinking again about crews and I'm thinking about our children. I'm thinking about the moments like I just want to lean into like I, I at the end of this conversation, like when Jaguar does something like and he's still like being like kind of a trickster and jokey in the middle of a, of a stressful situation. I'm just like, you're my hope for the future. Like, <laughs> or when he's like, you know, his inner magic just comes out or we, when we can see them shine. Um, mm. He's just in a winter spiral and seeing their personalities come out. Um, Santos, uh, Renee's kid hopped the, the spiral just out <laughs> of the circle and then hopped back in and then did it. It was, I was just so hopeful after that. Just thinking our kids are uniquely themselves. Yeah. It's yeah. like one of our students who are not like unapologetic, non-binary, you know, like, and I'm like, Man, you know, that freshness. I think, mm -hmm. I think too. So, cause we, we have our, our kids in our Waldorf school and there's a, you know, it's not perfect, right? It's definitely got its own flaws, mm -hmm. but I think the thing that I really appreciate about their, uh, this particular like 
pedagogical philosophy is their approach to child development and this idea of like things in things presenting things to children when they're developmentally ready for them and then hard things presenting to it to them at the stage that they are in and then allow that to kind of grow right like you don't have to tell them okay you know slavery like and the atrocities of it but you can present it in a way where they can you know at their age level at their developmental level and then you build on that versus let's just pretend like it didn't exist ever <laughs> right like and then eventually they figure it out and that could be like a really um uh you know hard moment right to to see that like to to have the bubble lifted right um and i so i appreciate this like like child like understanding how do we present material to them in a in a child developmentally appropriate way and i think that what that to me that helps me balance the idea of like cuz they're very much in like we want to hold their child innocence as long as possible and i have pushed back on that a lot because mm-hmm. i'm like not everybody has access to that right like people of color don't have access to that particularly black kids don't have access to that and right it's not but it's not either or it's and right yeah how can yeah. we do all of how can we hold on to their innocence mm-hmm. as much as possible while also presenting them with the reality of things. And so I always try to hold that like in my heart because I think that the the bubble of magic of childhood is actually the important piece that's going to get us even further into liberation because we shut their imaginations off too early. So if we allow them to be in their imaginary magical place and then you know, we slowly kind of present them with the realities of the world, they're going to be much more open to creating liberatory possibilities because they haven't been um, said, oh, the world is fucked. The reality, you know, the reality of the world is fucked. You're going to be fucked. And that's it. It's like, no, let them them play in their unicorns and butterflies and then be like, you know, siphon in like, okay, here's, here's how things are. And they're, you know, this is why I think Cruz is more, you know, like, he doesn't like to hear about climate change, but we talk about it. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah. oh, but if we plant trees, you know, we do like he's much more hopeful versus yeah. like, oh, you know, like hopeless. And so I think we it's need the them to be hopeful. And we, we need and them how do we to, keep to them reimagine our futures. We need them to lean into being playful and lean into yes. different ways of seeing the world because I'm a jaded bitch, you know, exactly. like. Exactly. And so I don't want to put that heaviness on him. Exactly. You know. So that's to me, uh, that's the key is like how do we protect that that magicalness? Because that's that's that is the their key. vision. It's their vision that will see that's us right. into, you know. And we need to harness that. We need to hone that. We need to give them spaces to do that, you know. hundred um, percent. So I I I think it's like it's not all or nothing right it's not like oh we just keep them in a bubble forever and it's not we just tell them everything's fucked right it's like how do we like the balance between that you know yeah okay so as we wrap up please tell us so much where Mm -hmm. we can find your work you know where do you live online where do i live so uh (laughs) mostly on instagram uh, at a splash of pia um you'll see that right now as i said earlier i'm really just posting about what's happening in Mm -hmm. palestine um usually i am posting about personal style interior design or other things that sort of inspire me 
I particularly um, liked you all's um, hurricane updates that you did at that one point. I just yes. that out. That I was haven't fabulous. That, that was yeah. so fabulous. That was my <laughs> husband's idea. Like he did it first. And then I was like, I want to do that too. <laughs> so, it was so good. I'm wanting to lean into more playfulness um, and really tap into that. You know, I've been practicing and studying improv for over 20 years. And I want to bring more of that like into my work um, and just into the way that I operate in the world. We did a lot of yes ands today, right? Um, mm -hmm. And allowing for there to be multiple truths and allowing for more possibility. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So um, if that interests you, you can follow me or, or not. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, I was just taking notes. I'm like, cause we're always struggling to find a title for each episode, something that's like catchy and fun. And mm -hmm. you were talking, I'm like, cause something you said early on, you said something about fuckery. And I was like, Oh my God, I love that word. Fuckery. So I was like, fuckery. possibility in the, in the, what? In, times of fuckery. in the time of fuckery. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. Play, play. That's, that's perfect possibility in the time of fuckery like that's a whole ass book that's, <laughs> that's a book right there <laughs> i love it i love it thank all right well, thank, you, thank, you, thank you kia thank you for thank you all we love, love all you so it. much um yeah we'll, thank you for we'll being be. you out in the world mm -hmm. yeah. thank you for having me i appreciate you both <laughs>